climbers, this may be one of the most important episodes I've ever put together. My hope is y'all have a profound epiphany after listening to this one. Darwin says it's not the strongest that's going to survive, the strongest of the species. Darwin says it's not the most intelligent of the species that's going to survive. I say it's also not the richest of the artist species or the most powerful of the artist species or the most connected that will survive. It's the most adaptable. To adapt is to disrupt. If you think of yourself as a disruptive artist, worthy of being seen, somebody who sticks out, are you also disruptive in your business plan on how you bring your art to new eyeballs? Today, we're going to prove how much power you really have in this business right now in this moment, because it's more than you could possibly know. And we're also going to prove, and this may shock you, how weak and vulnerable the established artists, the labels, and the industry execs are at this moment, the longer they procrastinate to adapt. Join us right now. Welcome to The Clan! This is a show dedicated to helping singers, songwriters, indie artists like you create leverage in the new music business. That's what it's all about. We want you to get a track record. We want you to get all the attention that you deserve coming at you because of that track record and then be conflicted about the deals that they're going to offer up because you've already got it going for yourself. That's why we called it The Climb, C-L-I-M-B, Creating Leverage in the Music Business. That's genius. Mm-hmm. That's a backstroom. That's a, a backstroom from my good friend and co-host, Mr. Brent Baxter. Brent's an award-winning hit songwriter with cuts by Alan Jackson, Randy Travis, Lady A, Joe Nichols, and more. Got two number ones last year in Southern Gospel. Got a whole bunch of stuff already happening this year. And, uh, woo, stepping up the game. Boy, I think the 2021 is going to be good for you. Um, what I love about Brent is he helps songwriters like you turn pro by revealing how you write like a pro, do business like a pro, and then on the regular, he's going to give you opportunities to connect with the pros, create relationships, and advance your career. You can find Brent very easily at songwritingpro.com. Once again, that's songwritingpro.com. And now I would like to introduce you to my co-host, Johnny Dwinnell. Johnny owns Daredevil Production. They're breaking artists digitally by identifying new fans through data. Yeah, it's complicated, but thankfully, Johnny's, you know, smart. If you're an artist looking to increase your streams, blow up your video views, sell more live show tickets, and get discovered by new fans, TV, and music industry pros, then Daredevil Production can help. Daredevil has worked with multi-platinum artists like Colin Ray, Tracy Lawrence, Ty Herndon, and Andy Griggs, just to name a few. You can find Johnny at DaredevilProduction.com. That is production singular, no S, and there is no S because there is no other Johnny D, although he could probably use a couple more of himself. But in the meantime, he'll do with... uh, employees and interns this week I, yeah this week i need i need more of me that's for sure <laughs> Woo, are you ready today this is i'm hoping this is gonna knock some sense into some people i'm hoping that people are gonna be like gonna have a profound moment i know you talked about having an epiphany and and i that sounds like let's do it i'm trying to make up i'm trying to think of a joke with epiphany like i had an epiphany one time but then they <laughs> hit me with some smelling salts it woke me right back up i don't know <laughs> Well, what we're going to talk about here is is we're going to dive into the significance of adapting specifically during a paradigm shift Mm -hmm. in the marketplace and in an ever-changing market. And we're going to review, what's the word I'm looking for? I am going to prove beyond a reasonable doubt, undeniably, (laughs) what happens to those that adapt and the significant impact that they have, not only on their own lives, but on society. Mm -hmm. And then you're going to freak 
when I when we review over the Titans, the rulers, the golden gods, the Goliaths that are unbeatable, that have owned this space forever, and how weak that they are. And this all came about from uh, a conversation I had at a party this weekend with an indie label owner that I just met, who I'm gonna I'm gonna become friends with. I think this guy's brilliant. I think he's genius. But the conversation we had is. It was a microcosm of the whole record industry, mm-hmm. and my jaw was on the floor during this conversation, so it just sent me down this road. So, th- Well, I cannot wait for you to introduce me to him and his artist. Yeah. Anyway. <laughs> of course I will. Of course I will. <laughs> You've got to give me a moment to deepen this relationship. That's right. You know? I'm, I'm just saying I'm patient. You know. <laughs> but great guy, and um, you know, just, I'm just going to be speaking matter-of-factly about this, but we're going to do, do a little history first, and we're going to talk about that. But let's take care of some business first. Mm-hmm. Um, first of all uh, – before we get to the business business, if you would like to have your song featured on our show in the context of a video content challenge so that Brent, me, and you, the artist, if you can arrange it with our schedule logistically to come up with a whole, let's just call it a suite of different mm-hmm. content promotion ideas on top of just your music video on top of just your your lyric video, but including those things, but other little things you can put around that to help promote your music and get to seven, get people to listen to your hook seven times. If that's interesting to you, mm-hmm. send your video, your song, your lyrics, and everything I can learn about your brand. If you know your brand archetype, that helps mm-hmm. to info at daredevilproduction.com and put VCC or video content challenge into the subject line because we think this is going to kind of take off. I just felt like that last show did really well and we want to do more of this. So send that stuff in, but shout out to uh, American songwriter podcast network. We're so proud to be a part of the American songwriter magazine family. That's a 36 year old brand name. We're one of the flagship shows. If you found us on American songwriter magazine, God bless. Welcome to the climb. If you have been a climber and we got a lot of climbers that have been long time climbers, go check out some of those other shows, guys. They're fantastic. There's Mm -hmm. really good information on there. Songwriting, production, music business, everything you need to learn. It's all there. Um, Join the climb community. It's at facebook.com forward slash the climb community. That's right. Very simple to find. You have to ask to be let in. We let everybody in. But uh, this is singers, songwriters, indie artists, indie musicians. We're talking with one another. This is an active group. We're posting information for you to hopefully kind of be a one-stop shop for an aggregate kind of news source on different things that are happening in the industry. Songwriters are connecting on there. People are asking promo questions and getting solutions and people are shouting out their wins, right? We've got right. wins. Like, what, what kind of wins we got this week? Yeah, so we encourage you, hopefully every every Wednesday that I'm on my game, uh, and don't get t- drowning and stuff to do, but we post a new height segment, and that is your chance where we encourage you to share your music-related wins for the week or just whatever's recent uh, so we can celebrate together. And it's also, you know, just not a bad way to kind of draw some attention to yourself if you're looking for co-writes or other people to go, hey, look what I got going on. You know, people are like, sweet, and you get to make, you know, relationships in the group and the co-writes have come out of this, that kind of stuff. So it's it's fun. It's not just uh, tooting your own horn, but it's, it's kind of like sounding the call, like, come on, I'm doing stuff. Come join me. Then we have Adam Bird. He says, I am pleased to announce that my song, Girl Crazy, co-written with Sarah Motes Ashley and sung by the talented Ray Grace, is being spun on seven different radio stations in Texas right now. Big thanks to Sarah and Ray for all their great work. So congrats, nice. uh, Adam and Sarah and Ray uh, for, uh, yeah, getting some spins, baby. That is awesome. Yes. 
So if you that want your really awesome. win featured, man, leave leave a comment in the New Heights segment at uh, the Climb Community on Facebook. Love it. Mm-hmm. All love right. it, love it. All right. And so, so then uh, make sure – is there another one? Uh, no, I'll say what do we got? What's going on? Make sure you, you uh, leave a rating, review, subscribe, or follow the podcast, mm-hmm. depending on what platform you're on, wherever you – Consume it, and then lastly, tell a friend about it, guys. You spend this kind of time with us every week. We're grateful for it. Yep. We don't take it granted. We're, Brent and I have just been talking about trying to work harder to get a little deeper dive, to bring more value to you guys on these shows. We're really serious about it. And because you're here, it's you're getting something. Tell somebody else about it. Help us help you help them, right? That's right. That's right. All right. <clears throat> so let's get into this. This is um, – it's hard to fathom. The moment that you're in right now, because you're in it right now, you're knee deep <laughs> right. in it right now. And whenever there is a big, big, big change that's happening, there's it comes with people who get it. It comes with people who don't get it. It comes with all kinds of news articles that say you should be doing this and all kinds of news articles that say, don't worry about it. It's not going to it's that's never going to go away. Mm-hmm. You know, Bob, everybody's got an opinion and it's really hard to get some information. So I'm just going to pull us up out of the woods for the first half of this episode. And we're going to go through and talk about some companies outside of the music industry first that adapted and what happened. These are going to be like broad sort of strokes, guys. So it's not going to, I'm going to inundate you with, with details, but I'm going to bring it all back home at the end of this episode here, the second half of this episode with the music industry. And my hope is that this gets your juices flowing because you right now have so much power. And most of you think you don't. Mm-hmm. Most of you underestimate, I think almost all of us underestimate our own power, but it doesn't come unless you think about it right, unless you make moves now, unless you start to to adapt, you have to adapt. And that Darwin stuff is for real, you know? Mm-hmm. There's a reason alligators are 400 million years old and mm-hmm. 95% of the species in the history of the earth that have been introduced to the earth are now extinct. We didn't kill them all. Okay. <laughs> you know, the, the guy from yeah. guy from Jimmy John's didn't gun them all down. You know, like they, they come <laughs> and go like crazy because they can't the species can't adapt. The more they can adapt, the longer they can live, the more successful they can be. And so this is what we're gonna dive into today. Let's first of all talk about let's just touch on the airlines. Okay. There was a time back in the day when every like game show you watched, every commercial every tv show you watch it's normal to see an airline commercial just like you'd see a tide commercial american yeah. airlines united airlines fly the friendly friendly skies delta and car rental places mm-hmm. right remember hertz oj simpson with the hertz commercial yeah <laughs> that's right remember that hertz. back in the 70s oh, okay yeah why don't you see those anymore with the with the, with the rare exceptions of airlines that are sponsoring major sports events for instance Southwest Airlines. Mm-hmm. Um, you don't really see. When was the last time you saw an American Airlines commercial? It's a good question. I've seen a lot of bad things about when. them on social, but not a lot of commercials. <laughs> well, I, the re- the reason they don't is because they don't need to anymore. You know why? Because they have your email address. <laughs> These true. guys adapted very very soon. I do and put get together, emails. Yeah, and and they put together a frequent flyer loyalty point system, which was brilliant. But that came in exchange with what? An email address. And now they are effectively and, by the way, freely, at no cost to them, really, you know, 
communicating their new deals, their new flight deals, mm-hmm. everything that's happening, their new routes, everything you need to know to you through email. Yeah. And they don't need to spend that money to be on a broadcast platform anymore. They adapted to digital. That's right. I mean, I've, I've flown American and sure enough, I probably have something from them in my inbox. I think I had one this morning and also from another airline, Allegiant airline. Yeah. Sure enough, they send me like, Hey, we got this going on for this, you know, Love Allegiant. cheap flights going to Tampa and blah, blah, blah. I get them all the time. Love Allegiant. My, my sister and my nieces and my brother-in-law live up in Appleton. Allegiant flies direct from Nashville to Appleton. Mm-hmm. Bucks round trip. Like, yeah, man. Allegiant's awesome. It's no frills. <laughs> It's no frills, no but frills. I don't care. That's an hour and 10 minute flight. I, but that me? is the frill that I care about giving her. But anyway, yeah. Yeah, cool. easy peasy. So let's uh, let's move forward now. There was a time, and for people who you know, weren't born before, let's say 1985, you don't understand this at all, but every single little faded mapped out in America, if, you, if your town had 2,000 people, guess what it also had? A travel agent. <laughs> that's right yeah it had a travel agent in it because mm-hmm. that was the only way you could get a plane ticket yeah because that was the only way that that you could get a rental car or get a cruise ticket was through because they had the software that could communicate with mm-hmm. the, the the owners of the or the creators of the product or service and some towns like delavan wisconsin five thousand people right two travel agencies Ooh, that had time. offices overhead businesses that they were running mm-hmm. and relationships and then the internet came out and you know what Boom. they were gone overnight yeah they disappeared overnight why because the airlines didn't need to have the middleman anymore they could talk directly to you and when you go to expedia <clears throat> um that's co-op by all the airlines so everybody that you're talking to on expedia you're doing business direct with delta direct with american direct mm-hmm. with with United, or if you're not going to AllegianAir.com, or if you're not going mm-hmm. to Southwest.com yourself, doing business directly with the creator of the product or service. Lower prices, no middleman, and and they can communicate with you directly. They adapted, and uh, you know that you're talking about. I mean, how many millions of pe- travel agents were there? Oh gosh, I mean, every, every was that a, was that a, was that a, a seven figure number? There, I mean, oh, I don't know, but they were all over the place because we needed them because we didn't know how to. You know, I want to go. Hey, it wasn't having to know. There was no way, even if you knew, you didn't have the software. You know, I got a honeymoon coming up and we want to go to Aruba. And how do we do that? And go set up and find the find the resort yep. and all that stuff. Yeah, it was like, call your travel agent. So just like that, travel agents extinct. And the big boys are doing business direct with their customers. And now the airlines know who their customers are mm-hmm. and have your email address, have your information, know what's going on. Right. That's right. Okay, this sounds like a little segue, but follow me on this. Seinfeld, May 28th, 1998. You know what day that was? May 98? Was that like the last episode or something? Last episode of Seinfeld. That's right. Last episode of Seinfeld was a really, really, really big deal, if you remember. It was this ballyhooed, overpriced, you know, advertising extravaganza Mm -hmm. because it was, in fact, the biggest audience of the decade. There's the headline. The biggest audience of the decade. Yeah. On television was that last Seinfeld episode and people were tripping over themselves to pay 10 times the price for an ad to get on that one half hour episode. Mm -hmm. Because everybody's going to be watching it. So two things can be true at the same time. Yes. Biggest audience of the 1990s. That's huge, right? Yeah. Who's gets to say that? Here's the other thing that's true. 
Audience size didn't come close to a third-rate, about-to-be-canceled sitcom from 1979 when there were only three networks and 300 million people watching TV. Oh, wow. Let that sink in. So is MASH still, the, um, still have the record, I wonder, of the most watched? And that was 98, That's a good question. Because I know that's one a good, that's a good MASH, question. that last episode was like the most watched. When you know, was that? Though? That was in the 70s or the 80s, wasn't it? 70s, 80s, something like that. Yeah. Yeah. So I, I'd be willing to bet. I, I'd bet I'd bet 500 bucks that MASH had a bigger audience than Seinfeld did. Sure. And what's crazy is, I mean, 98. How much internet really was there in 98? It's not. I mean, you don't have all the streaming. You didn't have all this other stuff. You just had a buttload of channels. It was a channels, yeah. It yeah, was the buttload of yeah, channels. That's yeah. before you even had what all we have now with streaming. Yeah, everything. it was crazy, okay? Yeah. So this is crazy. So this matters to you guys, okay? This, this Seinfeld significance matters because Hollywood has had to adapt. Mm-hmm. Guess what? Actors less famous now, right? We went from having TV shows back in the 70s. You guys, you can look this up. If you're younger, this will freak you out. But we used to have Battle of the Network Stars once a year because there was only three channels. And so there's three primetime shows going on every night. And if you watch Charlie's Angels on Wednesdays at primetime, the other two shows that were competing, you didn't watch those shows, but you knew who the stars were and what shows they were on. Mm -hmm. You knew it. And this is before VCRs. This is before TiVo. So you had to make a choice. Yeah. And you didn't get to see those other ones. But- you knew who they were because there were so few. So you had these big, big mega hit stars that had big enough brand names where you could put them in like this Olympic thing where they do all these crazy, you know, running and <laughs> basketball or what, you know, yeah. tug of war and all this kind of stuff. And it was exciting to watch because those were your favorite stars and you knew who they were. We've gone from that to one of my artists, Chris Mao, coming home when, I, when we used to be roommates in, in like 2012. It's like, dude, you'll never guess who came to my show tonight at Tootsie's. I'm like, who? He's like, so-and-so. I'm like, who's that? He's like, dude, it's the guy that's the star of The Walking Dead. I'm like, what's that? It's yeah, like, It's a show I watch every night when you come home. I'm like, I don't even know. Yeah. No idea. That's, where, that's 2012. Mm-hmm. Lots of stars, not a lot of fame, right? Yeah. Shows make less money. Movies make less money. But there's way more channels and way more opportunities mm-hmm. to get paid. Right? Way more. So- now let's talk about, and we're going to touch on something we've talked before on this podcast about, let's talk about a 150-year-old industry and how quickly that changed. Okay. They've been doing this industry for 150 years, successfully doing this industry for 150 years. Turns into a multi-billion dollar industry until one person, well, two people really, but we're going to talk about one person, comes in and changes everything. And that's Major League Baseball. Hmm. Okay, Billy Beans, Oakland A's. Oh, uh, yeah. Right? 2001 and 2002, at the end of 2002 season, because Billy Beans' AAA team just happened to bring up three that culminated in this season. I'm not sure when they all kind of came on board, but they're three rookies. They're worth mm-hmm. nothing until they prove themselves differently. But Jason, Jason Isringhausen, Matt Damon, and I forget who the third guy was, but these are rock stars. On 2002 season, they all become – uh, free agents, but they were so good and and they had this team together so well that Oakland A is a small market team, the smallest mm-hmm. of the small market teams, 
actually gets to the championship series with the New York Yankees and they lose in the championship series, but they got there and they got there with a $38 million payroll and the Yankees got there with a, uh, I think it was $128 million payroll or $130 million payroll. Yeah. So way, way bigger. That's a Goliath and they had to figure out how to adapt. But the, the story is they lose those three guys mm-hmm. because they're going to get poached now for teams that can afford to pay them right. eight to $10 million a year, which the Oakland A's can't afford to pay right. because they're a small market team. And now Billy Bean has to go back and figure out how he, well, he goes to ask the owner for more money. Owner's yeah. like, no, I can't. I can't give you more. We're a small market team. I have to be profitable. Yeah. You have to make this work with what you have. I'm sorry. I can't give you more money. And all Billy wants to do is get to the show. He wants to get to that World Series, yeah. you know? So he adapts. He's like, I can't compete with the New York Yankees on money. Right. So I'm going to have to find another way. I'm going to have to adapt, improvise, and overcome. And so this is what he does. And he starts looking at data. He starts figuring out what this, I can't remember the other guy's name. I forgot his name. Yeah, I don't remember. But, um, and they start looking at, you know what? Everybody's, for 150 years, we've been looking at the prototype baseball player. Mm-hmm. He's got this five tools. How many of the five, five tool tools player, does right. he have? Yeah, is he a five tool player? Is he a three tool? What kind of attitude does he have? Is he coachable? Is he, these are the things that all the scouts that are talking about, the head coach of the A's, that's the language he wants to talk. You know mm-hmm. why? Because that's the way they've always done it. Yeah. And that's what they know. And they've been successful doing that up until now. So these aren't idiots. These people aren't stupid. Right. That's what they know, you know. But he's like, this isn't working. We can't compete with them. So then this other guy comes in and says, well, hey, you know what? We win games by getting home runs. And we get home runs by getting on first base, by getting on base. An artist saying, all right, I have to pay for as much radio promo. I got to get on the radio. I got to get on the radio. Yeah. I got to get on the radio. Yeah. Because that's yes. what, that's what the yes. Yankees are doing. That's what Big Machine's doing. That's what, thank that's you. We got Tim McGraw to the show. That's what we got to do. Thank you. Yeah. And all these are true. These are right. all true statements. But once again, two things can be true at the same time. Mm-hmm. Biggest audience of the 90s was Seinfeld. Doesn't even come close to some crap show that got canceled because of a bigger audience than they had, uh, you know, just 15 or 20 years ago right. prior to that, right? So, so keep this in, in the thing. So here's the deal. They start putting this whole team based together based on data and mm-hmm. just getting these undervalued players who get on base more than these multi $10, $20 million a year rock stars that mm-hmm. they can't afford to get. And lo and behold, they're back in the championship series again in 2002 playing the Yankees. And mm-hmm. at the time that they enter into the championship game with the Yankees, first of all, on their way there, they break a record, a major league record, with 20 consecutive wins in a row, Yeah, which hadn't been done in, I think, 60 or 70 years prior to that, making miracles happen. Yeah. They're doing it without any stars. Yeah. He's doing it working against the head coach who right. can't stand his idea because this isn't the way we do it. Mm-hmm. The, the scouts are like, you're an idiot. We're, you know, some of them quit. Yeah. Like He's disrupting the whole team, pissing everybody off, but he's like, we don't have a choice. We have to adapt. Yeah. Okay, and then by the time they get to the championship series, they won just as many games that year as the New York Yankees did. They paid $260,000 per win that year. The Yankees paid $1.4 million per win. 
value. So he adapts, figures out a way to have the same amount of success for 18 cents on the dollar. <laughs> That's nice. People, okay? This is the impact of that. Now, here's the other part of it. Um, they didn't let money get in their way. They thought of a different way to do it. Mm-hmm. Billy Bean changed the game forever, okay? The Oakland A's didn't have what the rest of baseball would call extraordinary talent. Let that sink in. Mm-hmm. They didn't have extraordinary talent. They were competitive with a significantly innovative new approach to playing a 150-year-old game. Okay? Boston Red Sox, after that season, the owner, John Henry, offered Billy Bean the largest GM contract ever in the history of baseball, $12 million. Bean turns it down because he wants to stay closer to his family in the Oakland A's. And two years later, Red Sox break the curse of the Bambino and win Mm -hmm. a Super Bowl. I'm sorry, win a World (laughs) Series. In 2004, using Billy Bean's system, Mm -hmm. which is based on data. Okay? Think about that. Data. Right? Now, let's talk about Michael Dell. Michael Dell is a couple years older than me. Right? Mm -hmm. He gets into college in the late 80s and just starts building computers for his friends because he figures out he can can do stuff differently and build these computers for his friends and give them a little more power and give them more what they want. Mm -hmm. And... His whole business kind of starts out as this peer-to-peer direct to thing, right? Yeah. And then by the time he sort of builds up this little business, they invent the internet. Hmm. That's fortunate. All right. And so Michael Dell becomes in the 1990s as the first computer manufacturer to go direct to customer. Does that sound familiar in the music industry? Huh, maybe, yeah, a little bit. Direct to customer becomes the richest Texan. In seven years, surpassing multi-generations of wealth accumulation from oil fame. Earl money. Yeah. This isn't about the money, guys, but sometimes money can be a good indicator or a metric for impact, success, and the viability of an idea. Think about how fast that happened. In 2001, Dell Computers surpasses Compaq as the number one computer manufacturer in the world. And now Michael Dell can buy and sell the richest oil family in Texas two times. That's crazy. Okay. And by the way, the whole industry changes. Guess who Mm -hmm. else is direct now? Apple. Right. Guess like all of a sudden everybody starts going direct. And in the manufacturing process, the parts manufacturers, they start to go direct. Literally 150 million, $250 million companies publicly traded Parts distributorship companies. All of a sudden, it took about 10 years, but they disappeared, mm-hmm. right? If you make a $1 diode and you want to get that in an Apple product, you got to go through me. Why? Because I got the relationship. You don't get yeah. to get to Apple. This is the way we've always done it. Distribution. You've got to do it this way. Well, that changed and fast. Yeah. So those huge, huge, huge companies with all kinds of political power, all kinds mm-hmm. of money, all that couldn't adapt. They no longer exist, right? That's right. So now let's move into some entertainment here. Netflix, founded on August 29th, 1997. On April 14th, 1998, right, less than a year later, Mm -hmm. they launched their website offering 925 different movie titles on a traditional pay parental agreement via mail Mm -hmm. 
with only 50 cent postage, right? And late fees were included. Yeah. Remember that? Then they adapt to a subscription-based business model in September of 1999. So a little over a year later, they go to a subscription-based model and say, you know what, for $19.95, you can have as many rentals as you want hmm. this month. Yeah. Okay. And in 2000, shortly after raising $30 million in venture capital, they offer themselves up for acquisition to Blockbuster for $50 million. They go to Blockbuster, hey, for 50 million bucks, you can have us and take over this whole thing. Blockbuster declines. Block bummer. Blockbuster says, you know what? People have always wanted to go to the store to get their movies. And there's a, I remember this. I remember the news stories. They're, they're, people love the, they love this part of it. They love. Walking up they, and down they, the aisles yeah. and looking behind the VHS to go, ah, oh, crap, they don't have that one. <laughs> Oh, crap, yep. I don't have that one. Yeah, people They're love never going to stop that. doing that. No. They're never going to stop doing that. that. Hello, Pantheon Podcast listeners. Christian Swain here to tell you more about my experience with Raycon earbuds. Our family now has three pairs of Raycon earbuds around the house. And my wife just grabbed a pair of the headphone pros to replace some headphones from a company that was double the price. And yes, she loves them. Now, if you haven't pulled the trigger on a pair of Raycons, or even if you have, but you're in the market for another pair because they're just that good, well, now is the time to check them out because they just launched their upgraded model of the best-selling everyday earbuds. With Raycon's upgraded everyday earbuds, now you also get active noise cancellation, ergonomic design, and multi-point connectivity that lets you pair with two devices at once. New quick charge function, three customizable sound styles plus awareness mode, available in a variety of vibrant new colors to complement any and all skin tones. I even have a pair of earbuds in a cool green color. I have tried just about every earbud known to humankind, and these Raycons are fantastic. Seriously, if you've been wanting to check out Raycons, there truly is no better time. You're going to ask yourself why you didn't check them out sooner, and Raycon offers a 30-day happiness guarantee. So what are you waiting for? Go to buyraycon.com slash pantheon today to get 20% off your Raycon order, plus free shipping. That's right. You'll get 20% off and free shipping at buyraycon.com slash pantheon. Buyraycon.com slash pantheon. So Blockbuster declines. In early 2002, Redbox enters his competition with a vending machine business model. Mm -hmm. uh, May 29th, 2002, Netflix goes public because they need some money with 5.5 million shares of common stock at 15 bucks a share, and they raise $82.5 million. Okay? Less than a year later, April 2003, Netflix reaches 1 million subscribers. At $19.95 a month, people, that's a $140 million business right there. Mm -hmm. There you go. August of 2004, four years later, Blockbuster offers Blockbuster Online to compete with Netflix's unlimited DVD rentals <laughs> for $19.95 a month. Oops. Yeah. The big Goliath Titans stumble, stumble. Then Netflix steps it up another notch and adapts again. They start streaming video content in 2007. Mm -hmm. September 10th, 2010, guess what? Blockbuster... The Titan you're never going to beat files for bankruptcy. Chapter 11. They can't compete with Netflix. Bye-bye. 2012, the first original programming. It's not Netflix original programming. It's through a distribution deal. 
It's a show called Lilyhammer starring little Stephen Van Zandt. Premieres. It's the first original content to de- debut on Netflix via a distribution deal. In 2013, Netflix makes its first move into original programming with House of Cards premiere. That's bought and paid for and created by Netflix. That's 2013, mm. people. That's just eight years ago. Yeah. Okay. House of Cards premieres on February 1st, 2013. Netflix had invested $100 million in two 13-episode seasons, $50 million a season. Hmm. Huge risk. But the first season earns eight Emmy nominations. The first ever Emmy nods for an online-only web show. 2013. Hmm. Increases Netflix's visibility to the industry and with consumers. The second season premieres February 14th, 2014, and that eventually earns 13 Emmy nominations. Little side note, November 2013, Dish Network, who purchased Blockbuster in a bankruptcy auction fire sale, mm-hmm. <clears throat> announces all the remaining Blockbuster stores will close by the end of the year. Bye. 2017, study shows that the number of Netflix subscribers is equal to all cable subscribers combined. Wow. Combined. So now they just blew Blockbuster out on the DVD rental thing. Yeah. Now we're coming after the networks yeah. and cable. Mm-hmm. I mean, they're not done, right? And then that leads us to the story that if you're a listener of this podcast, you know well, 2020 Emmy Awards. The Emmy Awards were held, the first Emmy Awards were held on January 25th, 1949, people. Okay, 1949. There's only three networks. Mm-hmm. Okay, so 59, 69, 79, 89, 99. You're talking about 57 years mm-hmm. of Emmy Awards run and owned by the three networks. You don't get an Emmy unless you're on the network, and you don't get it on, on the network unless one of these three guys says okay. Yeah. Permission. That's right. Gatekeepers. Gatekeepers, right? But 2020 Emmy Awards. 160 Emmy nods for Netflix. Nearest network, 31. You've gone from owning the Emmys as a network head to not even bothering to freaking show up. (laughs) That's truth. Yeah. That's 2020, guys. So that's seven years after the first original content was created. So... The powers, ABC, NBC, CBS, Fox, crumble, Netflix. Who the hell are they? We just started streaming. What's that? Well, now now we own you. Yeah. Okay? So where are we at in the music industry here? I was just at a party this past weekend, and I met a successful indie label owner. And Mm -hmm. I love this guy, Janelle, and I uh, just, like, totally are – Super excited to become friends with him and his his girlfriend. Yeah, um, we were supposed to hang after that party, but it was just we 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 tapped out because we we're just too tired. We we're gonna they had to go out to some dinner with their kids, and then they're like about nine o'clock. We're gonna go back to this place. We're like, no, oh, we'll be there, and they were like, no, we can't. We're we're done. We're done for the night. This is like an early party, right? Yeah. And <clears throat> the conversation I had with this guy was typical. And I want to preface this: this guy's brilliant. This guy's a hustler. This guy knows exactly what. He's doing 
in the space that he's working in. Mm -hmm. And the point that I'm going to talk to you about is what he's not doing is adapting. Okay. This is not in any way, shape or form a, you know, some sort of comment on, on his intelligence or whatever. This is what's really happening. This is where the opportunities are for the artists because they're not adapting. I asked him what he's doing. Like what, you know, how are you doing what you're doing with your label? Like what, blah, blah, blah. Mm-hmm. He's like, and he's passionate. I love him because he's passionate too. He cares about these. Like, man, we're into identifying hits, big hits. And we do it on radio. We still need radio. And I, of course now, you know, I'm like, Oh wait, what? Oh uh, yeah. Hmm. Okay. All right. And then he goes on to tell me, yeah, you know, we, we had, um, I, I was, everything went down in COVID, you know, I was like, yeah. yeah. And there's a thing where I think two things are true at the same time. Once again, that, yeah, lots of stuff went down in COVID, but radio has been going down, 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 down for a while now in yeah. terms of its power, its ability, its listenership, mm-hmm. um, <clears throat> the amount of people that you're reaching. And therefore it's becoming less powerful of a tool yep. for experts like him to be able to utilize in their tool set. And COVID exacerbated that problem, but I don't think it's coming back. Yeah. I don't think it's coming back. And the winter has been coming for quite some time. <laughs> winter is coming. That's right. Yeah. And COVID, and when it comes to broadcast platforms and, ter- and specifically terrestrial radio, and those that don't adapt, and COVID was the catalyst for the inevitable winter. It brought it soon. But those that don't adapt are going to have a really, really hard time. Mm-hmm. They're still focused on radio. Yeah. He doesn't see it as any other way. He, he, well, he he does. So we have conversations. Go ahead. What were you going to say? I was going to say it's what he knows. What yeah. He knows. And this is, it's important to understand this distinction, guys. Like I, I work with some corporate accounts. Um, one of the companies I work with, these guys are re- responsible for retirement and estate planning. And what they know is they have this whole group of professionals that work within their system because he knows that, you can have the best CPA in the world to give you the best tax advice, but that tax advice could also significantly impact your estate planning if you don't understand the legal end of it. Mm-hmm. And you can have the best lawyer in the world who has your best interests in mind and would never, ever do anything wrong to you and can give you some stellar legal advice that could completely screw up your taxes if he's not as well-versed in taxes as he is in law. Right. And, and the same thing with your brokers and your life insurance brokers. And, you know, so it, it's like we are focused on what we know and the specialties of it. And if you guys don't understand this, then you're not going to see the significance in, in the import that you have to put in the weight you have to put on to adapt and to be able to do this. So labels like this are doing what they know, what they're busy at, and they are struggling. Mm-hmm. The labels are struggling. How many times have we talked about that on a podcast? Oh, nobody's connecting with the artist. They're only connecting with the song and the playlist. And, yeah. you know, blah, blah, blah. Man, guys, like this is, these are where the opportunities lie. So they're talking about breaking hits on the radio. We're, I start talking about digital. Mm-hmm. To the labels, to this day, when I mentioned digital him, where do you think his mind went right away? I don't know, Spotify. Yeah, Spotify and social media. Yeah. And his answer was, well, I mean, like we help him with Spotify, but um, really, you know, the social media stuff, they, they've they got their own people. Yeah. And I, you know where I'm thinking? I'm thinking Amazon, right? <laughs> yeah. 
like it's not only about I mean there there first of all there's the customer mm-hmm. on social media number one and number two like all the data right oh, yeah. like that comes with that and the marketing and the targeting the being able to target somebody mm-hmm. especially for an indie label oh yeah like if you're going to do terrestrial radio to try to to try to break artists that's an expensive fail and you fail a lot that's just part of the game oh yeah, yeah. nobody has nothing but number one hits <laughs> right especially you're going to fail yeah but man if you can build up a solid audience on digital and adapt first and then go to radio when you're going to own that Mm -hmm. and and make that artist profitable and not lose money from the label. Mm -hmm. Holy crap. Right. Like this is, they still don't see this. I mean, you can, as a smaller label, you can geo target certain areas with certain radio stations you want to get on the radar of go there, play shows, do target 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 all this stuff get in front of them become a star in that town you show up and you invite the radio station somehow they get wind of it or whatever and they come out and oh my gosh you just slaying it yeah like oh we got this thing for radio too whoa well this person's legit there you go how about that conference room please say i have a little bit of spin they're like oh my gosh these people around here freaking love this who is this person why, why aren't they on our radio station? Yeah. That's the conversation you want to have. Why aren't you on my playlist? Uh, I was just going to ask you the same thing, Mr. Program Director. My name's Johnny. How are you? <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Now, how about merging the two initially during the thing, right? Like mm-hmm. if you've got a market where you're getting some traction, maybe mm-hmm. you're medium rotation, maybe, God bless, you're in heavy rotation. Why wouldn't you also dump some money into digital so that I'm on your radio, I'm also in your feed? Exactly. Like, oh, here's the video for the artist of the song I just heard. Whoa. Oh, what These guys that cool. was? Oh, there it is. Oh, and it's on a digital billboard too. You can buy those now for pretty cheap mm-hmm. on, on, a, on a major, major throughway where the, the sign keeps changing and you can, I mean, holy crap. Yeah. And by the way, just, just because I haven't, I haven't done this in a couple of years, but last night I was up late and I was going through a number of different major label artist rosters uh-huh. looking for artists that I don't know, uh-huh. going to click on their websites Mm-hmm. and just looking at what their socials look like yeah and hey i don't know all the all the artists that are making waves i found some that i didn't know that are crushing it right mm-hmm. but i found some that if you're listening to me right now your social media is better than a bunch of major label artists who have deals right now still yeah to this day and some of them aren't even on tiktok some of them aren't on YouTube. Some of them, one or two of them, wasn't even on Instagram. Wow. Or at least they didn't have a link on their website to the yeah. Instagram account. Mm-hmm. What the hell is up with that? Oh, yeah. Like, I'll tell you what's up with that. There is no system in place, no strategy. Mm-hmm. There's no, nothing in place at a major label to immediately plug artists in to some kind of program that's going to help grow their audience. Yeah. They're only looking at social media as a tool that shows them how well the label's doing at making their artists famous on broadcast platforms. Yeah. And it's expressed in the form of the amount of followers for that artist. I mean, I remember this is probably 2007, maybe. Uh, I was at Major Bob, got a song of mine cut by this artist on like Sony or something, new artist. And uh, cut sounded great. Artist sounds great. Big voice. 
nice, you know, met him out at a, one of the awards things. He was nice, you know, so he's working on his first record. He cut a song of mine. So I'm, I'm like, cool, let me go cyber stalk this guy. I mean, and that was before like uh, Facebook was starting to take off. But, you know, it was more probably still MySpace world a little bit, but like went to his website and there was like nothing. I was like, I started getting that sick feeling like, oh boy. Even then, like, uh, how do they not, a web presence for this guy they're about to dump all this money into. That's where yeah. it came out. Yeah. <sighs> I mean, we have done this repeatedly for years, right, uh-huh. to help artists out. But there's just no attention giving to it. Why? Because they're not paying attention to that. Yeah. They're paying attention to radio. Yeah. That's the only thing they're paying attention to. And big magazines, right, and TV shows and touring. Well, Touring's still going to be freaking awesome. Don't yeah. get me wrong, but well, it's crazy because they're starting to look at those metrics, you know, like streams and stuff. I think a lot for who they're signing, but how much are they actually then going in and saying, "Let's step on the gas in this area"? Because I think yeah. it's pretty common now. They're going out there looking for artists, writers, or just artists that are, you know, killing it on socials and, and having streams and that stuff. They're looking for those numbers, those odd spikes and going, is that real? Is that organic? Is that, or is that just bought and paid for? They're looking for that and they know that, but they're not producing they're any not, of that momentum. Yeah, that's what would get us to sign you. Now let's take you to radio. It's like, instead of like, you got a fire burning, let's make that sucker go nuclear. And Do you see how this help. is happening? But do you see what's happening here? Do you see the vacuum that we're describing right now, people? Okay, this is happening today, right now. And this is your opportunity. This is where the Goliaths will crumble, just like Blockbuster fell to pieces. I couldn't believe how many artists weren't on TikTok. Uh You know, we, we talked about in this conversation at the party, we talked about Spotify. I got the feeling, I could be wrong on this, I got the feeling that Spotify was a bit foreign to him as the thrust of his of his passion was identifying hits on terrestrial radio. Mm-hmm. Can't really do that on Spotify. Yeah. You know, I mean, you can get lucky with the viral thing or not, but it's not as telling as that the information's different. It works different than terrestrial yeah. radio. And so what to do with that? Like it's, eh, let's go back to radio. because yeah. We know this is what's working. Yeah. At least three artists um, weren't on Instagram. There's zero infrastructure, zero policies, zero strategies that will plug an artist in to, to be able to dependably grow their socials. Right now, you know more than the labels about how to grow your socials than they do. Yeah, crazy. Okay? Hollywood, back in the day when Hollywood first started out, there used to be a star system, a star-making system. Right? They would sign somebody that they believe had potential and immediately put you into training to teach you how to sing, how to dance, how to act, how to interview, how to pose for photos, and how to behave Hmm. in certain circles. And it worked really good. And then it got really big. And you know what? They got lazy. Mm -hmm. And they stopped doing it. Like, we need that back. Hmm. You know? And there's no reason this shouldn't exist in the music industry. Hey, let's get them them going on the socials. Here's what you got to learn about how we're going to get you out there. But that only happens if they understand the digital platform. So the quicker you adapt to understand how to honor the digital platform, the more leverage you're going to create for yourself and the more longevity you're going to have in the marketplace, either as an indie artist or if you, in fact, get the deal. Trust me, you're going to want to be driving. Mm -hmm. Don't hand those reins over to those guys who go, you know, (laughs) why didn't everybody else have great socials? Well, you know, it's all about socials these days. Yeah, 
What do you do? Well, I mean, it's just, it's all about, it's all about digital social media. Yeah. Who's your customer? Oh, we don't know. Spotify won't share that with us. What the F? <laughs> right. That's the reality right now. Right? So when I'm saying digital, I'm asking about digital marketing. I'm not asking about social media. I'm asking about data. I'm asking about traffic. I'm asking about new cash registers that are significant cash registers, like YouTube traffic, Facebook video platform traffic, TikTok traffic, right? I mean, you talk to me, he's talking to me about how things got really, really bad, like they did for all labels during COVID. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm telling him about? You, you're going to shit your pants when you find out how many artists made seven figures over COVID and they never toured. Yeah. Because they built traffic to monetizable platforms like YouTube. Mm-hmm. Show me an artist with 500,000 uh, subscribers and regular content. I'm going to show you an artist that's making a comfortable freaking living, whether the government shuts us down or not. Right. Yeah. Wow. Why wouldn't we be there? Yeah. Why wouldn't we be looking at that? Why? You know, why? Why? Okay, why? Because this is human nature. This is slow. That's not what we do. Go try to sell uh, some sort of $50 million program to learn more about that to your stockholders who all they care about is you have to make us a profit. I'm sorry. Are we in the business of creating traffic to YouTube or are we in the business of making records? Yeah. Well, ma'am, we're in the business of making records. Okay, so I think you have your answer on that, sir. Yeah. They can't do it. You can. Mm Mm-hmm. You picking up what I'm putting down now? This stuff makes my nipples hard. I mean, it'll be an extremely long time before the brand name labels, the management companies, the booking agencies, the concert promoters, and the industry bigwigs find sufficient understanding on digital platforms to be able to even dream about creating a repeatable, dependable promotion pipeline on a digital platform. Mm -hmm. Until then, they're going to win a few lotteries here and there. But they're just going to continue acquiring artists who get it. Mm-hmm. The smarter labels like Doug Morris and Atlantic, who acquired the Chainsmokers, are going to stay the frick out of the way yeah. and let them do their thing. And the dumber labels are going to be like, well, this is how we've always done it, boy. You're in the big leagues now. Let yeah. me do this. And then they're going to ruin their career. And that happens a lot. There's a lot of YouTubers who are making comfortable six-figure, even seven-figure livings that got them the attention that got them to the deal and then thought, well, now I got the record deal. Yeah. I'm done. And hung it up. And then the traffic went away. The record label didn't know what to do. They lost their deal. They lost their revenue. And they got to start all over again. Let me tell you a story. So there was a group from my hometown, Batesville, Arkansas, called Mother's Day Out. And this was like, mm-hmm. nah, they came out like 92, 93 is when they really started kind of getting hot or whatever. And um, that was my senior year in high school. And that's about the time they they signed to Chrysalis Records. I mean, mm-hmm. one of the kids, you know, Chuck Schaff was younger than me, you know, and he had uh, Michael uh, Moorhead and some other people from around there, you know, so it's like an area band. It was like a early rap rock kind of pioneer, like early 90s. And they signed mm-hmm. to Chrysalis Records. And I was in college, you know, so this is like a year or two later, and they come to Jonesboro, and they're playing a show at some little place in Jonesboro. And so we go out to see them, like, yeah, home to, you know, the home area boys. And, and they had a song that was about a friend of ours and whatever, you know, so you have that. It's like, yeah. And we're asking them, like, play this song called Green, which was about uh-huh. uh, a guy that I should have graduated with, but he committed suicide. And oh, so no. they okay. wrote this song called Green, about uh, Green Fourth Farm. We call him Greeny. And um, 
And we're like, play that song. Cause we love the song. We, his memory, all that, you know, we like, we want to hear that. And they're like, we can't play it. Why? Well, the label thinks it might be a single or whatever, and we can't put it. We, they don't want us playing it around. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> what? Yeah. What? Yeah. Yeah. What? You got people <laughs> going to play the song. You know, after like, your label, this is we're homies here. This is family. This is, you don't I play, know. Don't play like, for anybody else. Play it for us. We know the guy. We know Green about it. Yeah. Yeah. And like, oh, we can't label. What? Mm. Didn't make sense. Yeah. Then. Doesn't make sense now. Yeah. So frustrating. You can play this that. Is, you can serve your fans. You don't have to go through the label politics. That is absolutely right. And guys, you need to adapt. You need to take this seriously. Stop thinking about radio. Radio will come to you when it's time to get on radio. Mm -hmm. Radio is not what you need to be focused on. What you need to be focused on is creating traffic, creating revenue, expanding your socials, getting your art in front of new eyeballs, and figuring out how to effectively get to seven. How can you get everybody to listen to your hook seven times? You have to adapt to this. Your brain, once you change the mindset and realize that you need to adapt and that you need to approach this completely differently mm -hmm. than the way that you were marketed to and the way that you believed it should have been approached and the way that it should have been approached even just 10 years ago. Okay. When you make that change, Look at what happened with Michael Dell. Look at what happened with Netflix. Look at what happened. Like these, that, those changes came fast. Mm -hmm. The growth came fast. And the people that they were battling against, that they were told they were never going to beat out, who were stronger, who had more money, who had a bigger brand name, who had more relationships and politics and to do things to keep you off, they're gone. Mm -hmm. They're gone. This is called disruptive. Think about Uber. Yeah. I mean, I mean, <laughs> they destroyed the taxi business in like less than a decade. Oh, yeah. Destroyed it. Why? Because it was better. They adapted. Taxis didn't. You know what taxis did? They spent a boatload of money, everything they had, every single taxi cab company around the world trying to do what? Eliminate Uber instead of creating a freaking app and adapting. Yeah. And it's cost them dearly. But the app and okay. adapt. No. And, and, and let's go back and just, I'm gonna, now I'm going to indict the record industry. Mm -hmm. They could have joined forces with Napster and, mm -hmm. and got into the file sharing thing and adapted. No, they got rid of them. Yeah. Uh, but they didn't go away, did they? No. And that platform didn't go away. And then let's talk about streaming. They fought streaming forever. Mm -hmm. And now streaming's their daddy. <laughs> yeah. So this is an industry that clearly has shown you just in the last 10 years. They're not interested in adapting. Yeah. Yeah, you know, we sell CDs. Yeah. No, no, no. It's changed now. You're, you're trying to create traffic. They don't get it. As soon as you do, you're going to start getting paid. And you're going to start asking the right questions. And then your subconscious is going to reward you. And you're going to start getting the right answers. And you're going to start coming up with some stuff that's innovative that nobody's ever done. And you can be the Billy Bean. Mm-hmm. Of Major League Baseball, you can be the Billy Bean of the music industry. You can be the Netflix. I mean, you can become the titan in your own area. Yeah. Much less, God willing, the whole freaking music industry. But you're not going to do it on the radio. You're not going to do it hoping for a record label. You're not going to do it looking for management. You're not going to do it trying to get a better booking agency. Okay? You need to get in gear and when you adapt it's still 
the playing field is still level. They have no clue. It's going to be a while, and you got time to get this together. So where are you right now with regards to your career strategy? Are you a blockbuster? Are you a Netflix? That's right. You know, are you wanting a label to get you on the radio first? Or are you innovating online? You know, some of the big movers and shakers here in today's music industry, Lil Nas X breaks Old Town Road on TikTok, mm-hmm. right? He's a Sony artist now, got himself a major label deal. I'm sure that looks pretty sweet. Yeah. He's in a fight with Nike over. <laughs> apparently, he literally shoes. sold his soul to the devil. Yeah. <laughs> his soul. Ranger Smith, you know, yeah. um, the chain smokers. Mm-hmm. These guys broke and were making seven figure livings before they ever got a record deal. Yeah. Okay. And why you would want to do it any other way is just lazy. Yeah. And it's, it just, you might as well just hang it up. Hang it up because this isn't going to work for you now. Because you're trying to jump from the frying pan into the fire with a group of people that have proven to you consistently over and over and over again. They don't get it. Yeah. And it's going to be a while before they do. Be- so Best way hey. to get a record deal? Don't need one. Yep. That's exactly get right. where you don't need one. And that's how you get They'll one. They'll come to you. And then, and then that's, by the way, if it turns out that a record deal is the right thing for you, which it is for some people, mm-hmm. then you're going to get a deal that makes sense. Yeah, it's because more likely you're going to be, be able the to say right no. thing for you when you can leverage yourself into a good deal. Exactly. Exactly. So that's all I got to say about that, guys. I mean, this is what we're innovating at Daredevil. You know, this is what we're talking about in this podcast. So if this is the first episode you've ever heard of this podcast, start binging now and okay. start figuring out how to put this stuff together because this is where you need to be. If you don't adapt, you will be gone like the travel agents. You will be gone like Blockbuster. And you will be gone. Like, what's going to happen to a lot of these labels? I mean, the world is changing. Yeah. And in five years from now, it's going to be very interesting to find out who the major players are. Mm-hmm. Because in 2010, if I told you that just 10 short years from now, Netflix is going to own Hollywood and the major freaking networks are not even going to be showing up to the Emmys because why bother? They're not going to win. Yeah. Why bother getting dressed up and going out? You would have laughed in my face. Yeah. You know, but here we are. So that's that, guys. This uh, this podcast exists because we want you to win. So keep on fun. And we'll see you at the top. It's NFL draft season, and that means it's time to start thinking about fantasy football. FantasyPoints.com features industry-leading experts and prognosticators using proprietary hand-charted data to help you score more fantasy points. FantasyPoints.com is the place to go for whatever kind of fantasy football you play. Whether you play fantasy football, daily fantasy sports, or do a little bit of everything, Fantasy Points has the meticulously researched content to guide you to victory. And why wait for the fall? Fantasy Points also covers the new spring football league, the UFL. Join the guru, John Hansen, Scott Barrett.
Joe Dolan, and other massive names in the fantasy football universe with an exclusive offer. Use code Pantheon for 15% off any fantasy points package, including the all-in package, with access to every article, tool, and data nugget that Fantasy Points has to offer. That's FantasyPoints.com and code Pantheon for 15% off at Fantasy Points. FantasyPoints.com, code Pantheon. Score more Fantasy Points. 